Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful that we look forward to that day of going home. Knowing that this world of brokenness, this world of sorrow and suffering is not our home. We're just pilgrims here. Lord, we look forward to the day that we will go home into your kingdom. Lord, as we come now to this time of opening up your word, Lord, we recognize that part of worship is hearing you, listening to you with ears of, of obedience. But Lord, we also know that in this flesh, this flesh is resistant to you and your way. So Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, change our hearts today. Give us the faith that we need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Teach us about faith today, Lord, I pray. In Christ's name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Galatians. As we are returning, part two of Persisting in Faith, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Today we're actually looking at uh, verse 28 through 31, since we went through the, the earlier verses last week. Higher goals are only achieved through persistence in the face of of adversity. Aaron was fairly well a straight-A student throughout high school and, and even through college. But when Aaron got began to, to start her program for pharmacy, she ran into a few snaggles, right? Uh, she ran into some hardships. Uh, the, the classes were, were different than what they were in high school and, and in college. Uh, they were more difficult. There was more things to study, more things to, to learn, and she struggled with that. As hard as she studied, she, she couldn't quite achieve the A's that she was used to, and she became frustrated, extremely frustrated, right up to the point where she, she came home and she told her parents, I, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I have to quit. I can't do it. I'm not smart enough which her father gave her some fatherly wisdom. And he said, Aaron, it's not about being smart enough. It's about persistence. It's about perseverance. It's about pushing through the struggles, the hardships to accomplish your goal. And Aaron heeded the words of Glenn and today she owns her own pharmacy. You see, with the, the greatest things in life, they come with hardships. They come with struggles. And we must persevere. We must persist in order to see the end and see our goals achieved. What Scripture tells us is faith is quite similar. Faith in Jesus Christ, faith, the faith, the Christian life is, is difficult, it's hard, especially in this world of brokenness, this world that is at odds with, with God. 
The Galatians, that the Galatian people that Paul is writing to, they're, they're struggling at this point in time because they're coming under persecution. They're coming under the, the guidance of these false teachers who are coming in trying to push them, push them, push them to, to leave the faith that Paul had introduced them to and to enter into a, a new kind of faith, a man-centered faith, a faith that relies on our own abilities instead of God. And Paul is writing to them and he is saying, persist in faith. Persist in faith. So today, as we continue this this message here, persisting in faith, we see Paul teaching us, persist in faith. Because only faith leads to God's eternal promise. Persist in faith, in the faith of Jesus Christ. For only faith leads to God's eternal promise. Now last week we began to to look at this and we kind of worked through that. And if you weren't here, let me just kind of give a review. Uh, If you were here, hopefully you brought back your your notes and we can finish out the rest of those blanks, right? Because I know you left struggling with blanks left. Uh, I would have, right? So today you get to finish the blanks. If you forgot it, that's all right. We're going to run through uh, the others. We're going to give you a little time to fill in those blanks uh, from last week as well. But if you missed last week's message, uh, please go to our our online, onto our webpage, and just go to sermons and listen to last week's message. Because if you don't, you're not going to get all of it, right? We can't cover it all. So as Paul begins to, to talk to us here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 31, this is his, his final argument. Right? He, he's been arguing for justification by faith alone. The Judaizers, the false teachers, they have been teaching justification by faith plus works. Faith plus the law of Moses. You've got to have faith in Jesus. Yes, they, they don't want to take that away. But they say, but you've got to add to that. You've got to become like us. You've got to become a Jew. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep all of these ceremonies and all of these celebrations. You've got to keep the, the law of Moses if you want to be a Christian. So it's not, Jesus is not enough. You need something else. You need the flesh. You need the, the power and the ability of your flesh to get you into the kingdom. And so, so Paul is writing to them and he has been arguing for uh, Galatians chapter 1 through 4. He's arguing that no, 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 justification, how we stand right before God is by faith alone, not works. Works has nothing to do with it. The only works that has to have to do with anything is Jesus' works and he did them completely. So justification is by faith alone. And now as he draws near to the end of his argument phase of the letter, uh, he is giving this final argument. Now next time we'll move into his application, more of his application, as he puts this uh, justification by faith alone into practice. But he is closing out this argument and he gives this final argument drawing their attention to Hagar and Sarah. And we talked about last week, one reason he is doing this most likely is because the Judaizers have been, uh, have been using a similar argument to argue their case. And so last week we laid out the historical context, the historical context, showing the historical context of, of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, the slave woman, which brought about Ishmael. And 
God had, came, had come to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going I'm to make your offspring such that you can't even count them. Look at the stars and count them if you can. So shall your offspring be. And, and so God made this promise to Abraham. But Abraham was looking at Sarah who had been barren her whole life. Now she's on up in age. She's in her 80s and, and past the, the age of bearing children. And so Sarah and Abraham say, well, God needs our help here. And so we need to do things man's way to bring about God's promise. And so Sarah gives Abraham her slave Hagar to be kind of a surrogate mother for Abraham, so that they could have children. And so they go man's way, and Ishmael is born. And when Ishmael is born, conflict arises within the household of Abraham. But then God comes back to Abraham, and he says, No, Abraham, that's not my way. Man's way is not my way. I'm not here to give you my glory. I am going to get all the glory. I'm going to do it my way. And so we saw in the historical context then that there are two ways to live. There's man's way, the way of the flesh, and there is God's way, the way of faith and trust in God. Then we dug into the allegorical interpretation. The allegorical interpretation, that is, Paul sees some types here. He sees some patterns taking place in history. So he begins to compare Sarah and Hagar to, uh, and Isaac and Ishmael to the two covenants, the old covenant, the covenant of the law, the covenant of works, to the covenant of grace. And he shows us through this, this allegorical interpretation that the way of man leads to slavery. But the way of God leads to freedom. The way of man leads to slavery. When we try to pursue man's way, when we, we listen to the people who say drugs and alcohol, they're, they're, they're what, they're, those things will bring you happiness. Work will bring you happiness. All of these worldly things will bring you happiness. When we pursue the world's way, what does it do? It, it winds us up in slavery. We become enslaved to the things of the world. We become alcoholics, drug addicts, workaholics even destroying our families in pursuit of worldly pursuits. But God's way, pursuing God's way, leads to freedom, leads to life, leads to joy, leads to true happiness. So man's way leads to slavery, while God's way leads to freedom. And so now today, we come to the second part, the final part, the third part, I guess you would say, of the text here. And now, after setting the historical context and giving the allegorical interpretation, Paul comes now to the Christian application. The Christian application. He says there in verse 28, Now you brothers, now you brothers are brethren, in other words, he, he is noting here that the Galatians, they're, they're the people of God. He has faith in that. He has seen them. He was there with them. He saw how they treated him, as we saw a few weeks ago. 
He saw how, how they had transformed before his lives from, from pagans to the followers of Jesus Christ. He had recognized the Spirit's work in their life, and he has faith that these, this is the brethren. These are Christians. And so he wants to, out, out of all of this, he wants to give a little bit of application. And so we see the Christian application. As we look at this this morning then, we see based upon the fact that man's way leads to slavery and God's way leads to freedom, we are giving, given here three applications. Three applications. Three, three things to apply to our lives. The first application that we find here is that as Christians, we must prepare for persecution. As followers of Jesus Christ, as a people of faith, we must prepare for persecution. Notice what he says there in verse 29. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh was persecuted, uh, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Now Paul is there referring to uh, the incident that took place in Genesis chapter 21. In Genesis chapter 21, we see the, the story of, of when Isaac was weaned. And back in that day, there was uh, apparently uh, quite the celebration when a child became old enough to be weaned from his mother. Uh, there was a, a celebration, a party that took place. And the Scripture tells us that, that at the party there, uh, Sarah looked over at Ishmael, and Ishmael was laughing. He was laughing. And, and according to that context, when we look at, it, at that context, and according to what Paul is saying here, apparently it was a laughter of mockery. He was mocking Isaac. He was making fun of him. He was persecuting him. And Paul says, just as it was for Isaac being persecuted by Ishmael, so too will you, dear Christian, be persecuted. In fact, Jesus tells us, Jesus tells us, uh, tells us and his apostles, he says, they persecuted me, they certainly will persecute you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, uh, Paul tells Timothy, in one of his final letters to Timothy, he says, all, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Dear Christian, dear faithful Christian, know, prepare that you will be persecuted in this life. If you are truly following Jesus Christ, if you're seeking to live a life after Jesus Christ, you will be. There's no question about it. It's not, he doesn't say you may be persecuted. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you, Christian, may be persecuted. Scripture tells us you will be. It's an absolute fact. It's going to happen. You will be persecuted. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can be persecuted. First of all, there is, of course, the physical persecution. There's physical persecution where, where the lost world, the world will come at Christians uh, and, and inflict bodily harm. We know our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He suffered bodily harm. They took him to the cross, persecuting him. And we know that throughout the ages, uh, there have been thousands upon thousands of martyrs who have died for their faith. Still today, uh, across the world, in countries outside of the United States, in places like North Korea and throughout the Middle East, Christians are being slaughtered for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, most likely here in the United States, uh, we, we most likely won't face physical persecution, or at least we haven't in the past several years, several decades. But uh, I'm afraid those times may be coming where we may suffer bodily harm for our faith. But how are we typically persecuted here in the States? It's more of a psychological type of persecution. That is, it's, it's mental, it's emotional, it's those kinds of attacks that we face. Howard Gardner is a, an influencer of influencers. Now, though you may have never heard of Howard Gardner, you have most likely been affected by his ideas. Howard Gardner is professor of cognition and, and education at Harvard University. In other words, he is the, uh, the influencer of influencer. He is the educators of educators. In fact, he's the educators of our educators' educators. Right? He's the one who, who his students will most likely not end up at a public school system here, like here in Bastrop. No, his students will be the ones who go and they're going to teach our teachers. His students are going to take his ideas of education to the university and teach our teachers how to teach and what to teach. And his students, if they don't go into that portion of the education system, then they're going to go into government and they're going to write the policies and the procedures for our public education system. So, though you may have never heard of, of Howard Gardner, you have been influenced some way, somehow in your life by his ideas. Howard Gardner, in his book, Changing Minds, he gives advice to students on how to, to change ideologies, especially the Christian ideology. At one point in his book, he, he even confesses that, that the, the idea of a creator is innate. We are naturally born creationist. He says that every eight-year-old, whether he, is the, he or she is the child of a fundamentalist preacher or a child of an ev evolutionary biologist, every child, every eight-year-old is by nature a creationist. Every eight-year-old believes there's a sense in them that there is a creator who created things and that we did not evolve from monkeys. He confesses that. But he says, this is something that has to be overcome. This is something that has to be done away with. We must attack this and, and change that mindset. So how does he go, suggest that we change, or how does he suggest that educators change that mindset? Garner says, one condition, or he argues that one condition that must be met to acquire a disciplinary mode of, of thinking, that is how, one thing that has to be done to, to change people to this secular mode of thinking, is to, and I quote, confront directly 
the many misconceptions, literally wrong conceptions, that youngsters hold. Both misconceptions of content, that is, that humans are a species unrelated to the rest of the animal kingdom, that is, that they are created in the image and likeness of God, and the misconception of method. In other words, that experiments only need to be carried out once and, and their interpretation is straightforward. In other words, we've got to get them past the, this idea. We, we've got to uh, overcome the fact that all the evidence uh, or so much of the evidence points to a creation and, and there's so much evidence against evolution. We've got to get them beyond that. Forget the evidence. You've got to get them past that. How do you do that? He says, resistance must be clearly recognized and confronted. Youngsters need to see that however strongly held their conceptions are not necessarily correct. This realization can only emerge by virtue of regular and systematic confrontation of their natural but typically inadequate modes and conclusions of thought. In other words, what he is saying is that teachers, what you got to do to overcome this natural, uh, desire, this natural tendency, this natural belief that there is a creator out there who created the universe. What you have to do to overcome all the, the mounds of evidence that point to a creator is you got to regularly, regu regularly and systematically confront them. Confront them with the secular way of thinking. you got to pound it into their heads. you got to beat it into them. Confront them, confront them, confront them, confront them. Every time that they, they, they show uh, an inclination of uh, a theological belief, you've got to confront them. Attack them with the secular mindset. You've got to indoctrinate them into secularism. And that's what's being passed down to the teachers at our universities. Which is then bleeding down into our public schools. Students, you're here. Many of you are homeschooled. Some go to public school. Some go to private school. But here in the South, we, kinda, we, have, it, we have it good and, and somewhat easy because even in our public system, uh, our public school system, we have so many Christians there, so many teachers who are Christians that though they have to teach certain things, uh, they can teach it in such a way that they still kind of uh, show you their faith. But students, when you leave school, when you leave high school here in the South, and you go to the university, I promise you, unless you go to a Christian university, and even those aren't safe anymore, unless you go to a conservative Christian university, you will be persecuted mentally and emotionally by secularists who want to overcome your biblical worldview, your Christian worldview, the worldview that your parents have handed down to you, the worldview that you have learned here. They're going to try their best to indoctrinate you into secularism. Prepare. Right now, you must prepare. 
Pay attention in church. Listen to the Bible. Fill yourself day in and day out. Take time to to read God's Word, to really get into God's Word, to trust God's Word. Listen in church. When David and or when uh, Joey and, and, and Jason are teaching you, students, listen. Listen. They're doing it because they love you and they want to prepare you for the world that is ahead of you. Dear Christians, persecution will come. It may not be physical persecution, but persecution will come. Oftentimes for us it comes in the form of that, that psychological persecution. Prepare for persecution. Second, put away man's way. Put away man's way. We must be in the world, right? When we're saved, we don't automatically go straight to heaven. We're still here. God leaves us here in the world. So Scripture tells us we're to be in the world, but not of the world. But as we are in the world, we must put away man's way. We must put away, that is, put away the way of the flesh. In fact, Jesus tells, tells us, He says, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. Now to deny yourself is to deny the flesh, to put away the flesh, the, the fle- flesh with all of its worldly desires. We've got to deny ourselves And we've got to take up our cross. That is to say, we must crucify the flesh along with all of its desires, which Paul will inform us in Galatians 5. We must put away the flesh. We must crucify the flesh. And Jesus says, you've got to do this daily. You've got to do this daily. You're living in the flesh. This old sinful flesh, it wants to chase sinful things. And so every day when we get up, we got to get up anew and we got to say, Lord, today I'm crucifying the flesh. Today I'm making a decision. I'm not going to follow the way of the flesh, but I'm going to live according to Your way, Lord. We've got to crucify the flesh. We've got to put the flesh away. We've got to set aside man's way of doing things. And we've got to pursue God's way. Now, when Marybeth and I are on a diet... Uh, we know that we cannot go to Baskin-Robbins, right? We know we can't go to Baskin-Robbins. For both of us, that's just a weakness. We can't go to Baskin-Robbins or or we're going to cheat. We're going to indulge in ice cream. And and that's what it means to put away the flesh. We got to get away from those things that, that bring temptation into our lives. We've got to put away those things that, that tempt us to, to chase the desires of the flesh. Now, temptations are different from, for different people. Uh, for me, I, I can't go into Baskin-Robbins, and so if you want to meet me and, and let's talk about things at Baskin-Robbins, and, and I'm trying to be good, I'm saying, no, I can't go to Baskin-Robbins. I'm sorry, I've got to stay out of there. The temptation is just too great. But for me, a donut means nothing to me. I hate donuts. I, I don't like them. I have one occasionally just to, because people expect it, right? I, I don't like donuts. So if you want me to meet you at Dunkin' Donuts or, or Krispy Kreme, uh, I'll meet you there. We'll have coffee and talk. That's not a temptation. So temptations are different from every, for everyone. You've got to know yourself. You've got to know what sin 
What sin will, will lead you away from God's way? What sin will cause you? What is it? What temptation will draw you away from godly living? You've got to know what that is. Whether it be, uh, maybe it's pornography. Maybe it is gluttony. Maybe it's, uh, uh, maybe it's certain friends. When we come to faith in Christ, sometimes we've got to change friends. I know when, when I got serious about following God and, and serious about doing things God's way, man, I had to change friends. There was a bunch of friends that I just had to, to have no contact with for a long time because they would draw me away. They would draw me back into to sinful, fleshly things. So you may have to disassociate yourself with friends. You may have to disassociate yourself from cer certain family members. Whatever it takes, you need to put away the way of man and pursue the way of God. What Paul says, as he continues on there, in verse, in verse 30, But what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit, the, the, inherit with the son of the free woman. Cast her out! Ishmael will only be a hindrance to the child of the promise. The child of the flesh will only be a hindrance and a distraction to the child of the promise. Cast him out. When God sent Israel back into the promised land, what did He tell them? Do you take all of those pagan nations that are before you and you drive them out? Drive them out. Drive them away from you. Lest they, they bring you into sin, tempt you to sin, and draw you into their paganism. If we're going to be serious about following Jesus Christ, we've got to cast out the flesh. We've got to put away the flesh. We've got to put away all of those things that would drag us back to the flesh. Whatever it is for you, Christian, whatever that it is that would tempt you and draw you away from your life with Jesus Christ, put it away. Cast it out. Throw it away. Get away from it. Run. Don't walk away from it be like joseph with potiphar's wife leave leave your clothes behind if you have to run out naked if you have to but just get away from it get away from those things that would tempt you to sin and tempt you away from your relationship with jesus you've got to put away man's way so christians because man's way leads to slavery and god's way leads to freedom Prepare for persecution. Put away man's way. And third, persist in faith. Persist in faith. Now, when we're talking about persistence here, we need to be clear. We're not talking about uh, keeping some kind of law, right? That's the whole point of Paul's, of Paul's letter here. It's not, about, it's not about doing things. It's not about keeping the law. It's not about, about keeping all the rules. We know that we're going to sin, right? We know that's going to happen. But it's about persisting in faith, persisting in your trust in God. When I think about this, I think about the, the contrast between King Saul and King David. King Saul was a, a, man, a king after man's own heart. He was man's king. He was, he was tall and handsome. He came from a wealthy family. I mean, he was, he was it by man's standards. He should be a king. And so God said, all right, Israel, you want a king? Here's your king. Here's Saul. I'm going to give you Saul. He's your king. 
And so Saul, he was king. But what did Saul do? Did he follow God's way? No, when God gave Saul the commandment, so said, go and wipe out the Amalekites for their, their sin against me and my people. You see, the Amalekites, they tried to wipe out the people of Israel, and God said, I'm going to wipe you out. And so Saul comes along and God says to Saul, you go and you take care of my business. You go wipe out the Amalekites. Don't leave anything, not any cattle, not the best of the, the spoil, nothing. You leave nothing. You wipe them out. And what did Saul do? He saved the best of the spoil. When Samuel came to Saul after the war, after the battle, uh, Saul came in, and, and or Samuel came in, and Saul said, hey, "It's been a glorious day. The Lord has blessed." And he says, "Well, why?" Saul, Samuel says, "Well, why? What is all this bleeding of sheep and and lowing of cattle that's in my ear?" And Saul says, "Well, well, you know, Samuel, uh, the people." Uh, they, they wanted to keep the best of the spoil uh, to give a sacrifice unto the Lord. It was the people. I, I listened to the people. Samuel says, well, what does God desire? Sacrifice or obedience? God prefers obedience over sacrifice. And so... Samuel, or, yeah, Samuel tells Saul, he says, because of your sin, God has ripped the kingdom away from you. And what's, Samuel, what's Saul's concern? In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30, uh, Saul, he turns to, to Samuel, and he says, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. His concern is what men think. His concern is about doing things men's, man's way. Now contrast to David. David, a man after God's own heart. No one thought he should be king. I mean, he was the last, he was the, the last pick of the litter. He was the runt of the litter of all the children of Jesse. Hey, Samuel went through one after the other. No, nope, not this one. Oh, no, nope, not this one. Oh, not, not this one. Are there any left? Well, there's the runt out in the field. But surely he's not the one. I mean, he's, he's nothing. He's just a kid. He's a runt. He's, there's nothing special about him whatsoever. And lo and behold, David was God's king. Did, was David sinless? No. He sinned against God. He sinned but with his sin against Bathsheba. And then, of course, the, the, one of the last sins that, that Scripture records of it for us, for David, is the sin of taking a census. And every time that David sinned against God, he goes to God, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. And I, I'm very impressed in this, this last sin, the, the sin of the census. As he, he, he numbered the people of Israel, which God told him, you don't do these things. You don't, do, you don't trust in numbers, you trust in me. And David sinned against God, and he went and took a census. He counted the people of Israel and sinned against the Lord. And because of his sin, God said, I've got to punish you. I've got to discipline you. This is wrong. And so uh, here comes my discipline. And, and, and God gives... David, the choice. It's going to be this. It's either going to be famine, pestilence, or I'll hand you over, over to your enemies for a season. 
And I love David's response. Then David said to Gad the prophet, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for His mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. You see, even when he was in threat of judgment because of, of his disobedience, threat of punishment because of his disobedience, does he look to man's way? Does he look for what men think about him? No, he says, let me fall into the hands of God. Let me fall into his mercy. Because his mercy is great. In his sin, David trusted in God. And that's what persistence in faith is all about. It's not living a perfect life in Christ Jesus. It's about living a godly life in Christ Jesus. And when we fail, we trust Christ Jesus. We trust Him. We have, have all of our faith in Him. It's not by our sin that we're condemned when we're in Christ Jesus. When we're in Christ Jesus, we are justified by His righteousness, by His good deeds alone. And so whether we see success or we see failure, whatever the case may be, we trust in Jesus. We persist in faith. No matter what, befalls you dear Christian whether it be persecution from the world whether it be sin that you struggle with whether it be a fall that you have a slip into sin persist in faith trust in Christ because you are righteous before God, not by your own doing, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's His life that purifies you. It's His life that saves you. He died for your sins so that you might live and receive all of His blessings. Trust in Jesus. Persist in faith. There are two ways to live, dear, dear friend. How are you living today? Are you living a life pursuing man's way? Which will ultimately lead to your enslavement. And which will ultimately lead to your final judgment and your final condemnation in hell. Are you living life God's way? Not the way of the law, the way of faith in Jesus Christ. There is a warning here for us. This final warning that we see in our text, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Man's way leads to being cast out, dear friend. If you are here today and you are pursuing man's way, if that's the way you've been living your life, you've been living your whole life pursuing man's way, seeking, seeking life and happiness and joy and all of the things of the world, 
Pursuing those things that man says will make you happy. If that's your way of life, that leads to eternity in hell. But trusting God's way. Trusting the promise of, of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Christ Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was raised again to prove your justification. If you trust in Jesus... Persist in faith in Jesus Christ. Scripture says you will be saved. You will enjoy all the promises, all the eternal promises of God. Which way are you following today? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, Lord. We thank You for the promise that we have in Christ Jesus. We thank You for showing us, Lord, the danger that is in following the world's way. And we thank You for revealing to us the joy and the peace that comes from following Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, turn our hearts to follow Jesus. And if there be one today who does not know Jesus, Turn his heart, turn our heart to, to know him today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.